0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Burner Account. Today is March 31st. I'm on day 19 of quarantine. Jack, how are we doing today?
1: I'm doing really well, man. It's crazy. There's literally no sports going on, and we're still finding things to talk about.
0: I love it. It's the beauty in the world. Uh, Luckily for us, sports television has still been on. Lots of throwbacks, football games going on. Uh, I know that ESPN is airing Monday Night Football for the next couple of weeks, so... That's pretty great, but I'm starting to push myself toward YouTube highlights, and that's not a place I want to be
1: right now. Yeah, I, I found myself watching Al Horford highlights the other day. That's how that's how bad
0: it's gotten. So,
1: yeah, uh, big Philly fan. Huh? That's right. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> gotta love it. Well. We're going to get right in. Uh, obviously, our headline topic past couple of weeks has really been on the NFL. It's the only league right now that, per the league year, is still on pace, uh, given the coronavirus epidemic that's going on. Now, Jack, we've talked recently, obviously, with the first wave and a half of free agency. Still a couple big names on the market three in particular that I know we really wanted to talk about. I'm going to go with Jadavion Clowney, Jameis Winston, and Cam Newton. Uh, before we kind of get into the, the rest of the podcast, I want to ask you, where do you think these guys are going to end up? And quite frankly, why are they still on the free agent market? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good question. There are a lot of top-end
1: guys still left. I mean, we, we can start with Clowney. It was reported by Aaron Wilson, who's a beat writer in the NFL, that Clowney had rejected a contract with an annual value of $17 million from the Dolphins. Uh, that that, mm-hmm. that would have put him third um, among defensive ends in contract value behind Frank Clark and Demarcus Lawrence. Um, everything I'm reading, it seems like he wants somewhere around 20 to 21 million dollars a year. I just I don't think he's going to get it. Um, I, I in my opinion, I think he's most likely going to resign with the Seattle Seahawks um, on a shorter contract and maybe test the market in a year or two. I don't know. What are your what are your
0: thoughts on Clowney, Alex? I'm right there with you. I think Seattle's probably his best destination at this point. Familiar with the system under Pete Carroll, I think, to your point about Miami and rejecting that $17 million-a-year offer, one of the biggest things that I've noticed about Jadavion Clowney is, although he's freakish athlete and certainly produces, he's never registered a season with over nine and a half sacks. That's a good point. And has yet, he's yet to register a playoff sack, and this is a guy who has been in the playoffs with the Texans and the Seahawks. It's really tough. For defensive linemen to demand top-tier money and actually get it without producing top-tier stats. I don't think that that stat is going to help him. Uh, per Aaron Wilson's note uh, you know about the Miami offer, I-, I think that probably would have been the best-case scenario. Miami's in a phenomenal rebuild situation right now, but it right. seems like he's probably going to be on his way back to Seattle, but apparently he's going to be holding out. Until training camp, I don't think that's a wise decision, but time will tell.
1: Yeah, and it seems like the Dolphins kind of moved on when they signed Shaq Lawson. So um, Mm -hmm. it's got a better
0: better deal. Right.
1: Three years, 30 million. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I think we're on the same page there, but we'll just have to see what happens with Clowney. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Cam Newton, he he was the most interesting one to me. Um, You know, obviously, we know what he can do when he's healthy and can stay healthy. And uh, that's the big Mm -hmm. question with him. Um, I personally like his fit a lot with the Jaguars um Cut. sport track has them at 17 million in available cap space i know they have Minshew, but i don't know is he really the franchise quarterback there i i don't think the jaguars are quite sold on him yet i mean even when nick Foles came back from injury um they they put gardner Minshew on the bench and i know they they took him back off a couple games later but it just doesn't seem like they're quite ready to give um give the keys over to, to Minshew. they've been stuck in qb purgatory for years Um, I get that Cam is really risky with his injury history, but I think he could pay off big time if if he's able to return to his anything close to his MVP form. Um, And at the very least, you create um, a really good camp battle between Minshew and Cam. Um, And I know two weeks ago, you suggested that maybe Cam might be in play for the Patriots. Uh, Do you still feel that way? Or have you kind of moved off of that?
0: I do feel still feel that way. I, I actually really like your point about the Jaguars. They're a team that I hadn't really considered to be in the possibility of the running for Cam Newton. But to your point about Gardner Minshew, like you said, when Nick Foles came back, Minshew was put back on the bench, and again, Minshew was put back into the starting role. But given the circumstances of Jacksonville's season, they weren't really in the playoff picture. Exactly, it was that's more true. Or less, you know, it, you'd rather just not risk the injury with Nick Foles, I suppose, and obviously. Nick Foles moved on, was traded to the Chicago Bears. He's going to be in the training camp battle there. Right, But I think that's a very interesting point uh, about Jacksonville. Um, going back to my feelings on New England, I still really like the fit there. I think Cam typically has been more successful with running backs who can double as receivers. Obviously, Christian McCaffrey in, in Carolina. I think James White would be a really good transition piece in New England. New England's getting Joe Tooney back on the franchise tag, got a healthy Isaiah Wynn, who was their starting left tackle for most of the year, uh, relegated from injury. A healthy David Andrews back, who I think many people are really dismissing. He missed all of last season with blood clots. I think he was, in many cases, an anchor on the offensive line the past couple of years with Brady under center. So I think that from a, an offensive line standpoint, I think Cam will probably be in a better position in uh, New England as opposed to Carolina, just because Carolina's had a, a pretty shaky offensive line over the course of Cam's tenure. I do like Sony Michelle. Obviously, the dip in production last year. Uh, I think Mohamed Sanu and Julian Edelman are going to provide some good safety nets and s- safe hands on the outside. Right. Cam played with DJ Moore, you know, last year. Some some good while Cam was able to to play and some good chemistry there. But I think just having a guy with sure hands like Julian Edelman, Mohamed Sanu, who's been a consummate pro throughout his career, you know, and hopefully there's a, a production increase with Nikhil Harry. I think Nikhil Harry missed half the year on IR last year. I think expectations were pretty high for him coming, being one of the first receivers off the board in last year's draft. I think, that you know, hopefully being able to take that next step would be a huge benefit to both him and Cam, uh, and hopefully provide some additional big play out, big plays on the outside. I don't think Belichick will pull the trigger on it. All signs are pointing to Jarrett Stidham being a true contender for the starting job this coming season. Regardless of that, I I like the fit there. I think that it would be a not necessarily a match made in heaven, but I think it would be a good match for a team yeah. that would instantly become a playoff contender again just by having cohesive quarterback play. Right. And in, uh, just being a homer, give me the Patriots, just give me cam to the Patriots.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's a good pick to be honest. I mean, I've been reading these storylines. This is kind of related, but I've been reading these stories that like the Patriots are getting ready to tank for Trevor Lawrence and start a multi-year rebuild. And I, I just don't buy that. I don't buy that. That's not bill. Bill does not tank. And you, what 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 is the storyline going to be if Tom has a great year with Tampa Bay and the Patriots end four and twelve? It's going to be that exactly. Bill Bill needed Tom way more than Tom needed Bill. I don't think Belichick is going to accept that. I don't see them tanking for Trevor
0: Lawrence. Um, no. So Cam Cam would make a lot of sense. I agree. And you know, going back into that, it's just Bill has never rebuilt. He's always retooled. I think exactly to rationalize the New England Patriots as overhauling and putting all their eggs in the Trevor Lawrence basket. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to be an absolute star at the next level, but it's just not the move that you can see the Patriots making. Right, know? exactly.
1: Um, so, yeah, that's that's Cam. Um, certainly can't leave out Jameis Winston. This one was hard for me because the problem with Jameis is he just seems to be getting worse each year, and I think that scares <laughs> a lot of teams.
0: Sure I does. Think, <laughs> I think
1: maybe the Chargers, I, I don't know. It seems like they might be kind of committed to Tyrod Taylor, which – uh that's, that's rough, but um, I don't know.
0: What are your thoughts on that? I said the same thing. Uh, you know, to be honest, I was I was going to say the Edmonton Eskimos, uh, but <laughs> yeah. I we, we couldn't add a Canadian team to the list. But, <laughs> you know, I, I really don't know. Uh, you made a, a great point on Jameis. It just seems like he's regressing more than progressing, right. um, and that's really disappointing for teams looking for a franchise quarterback. So I guess in many cases, the Chargers would be the quote-unquote surprise team, the only thing that Jameis really has going for him right now is that he, he's not that old. He's in his mid-20s. He still has good arm strength, and he has some recent eye corrective surgery. So hopefully teams can uh, see more right. potential. Uh, yeah. You know, it, I think teams will gladly steer clear of his turnovers. Obviously, 30 interceptions last year. That's not going to win you many games. It's going to put you out of the playoffs far more right. than teams would would enjoy. Best case scenario, I think the Chargers pick him up as a backup to Tyrod, like you said. And if he needs to come in, I think the Chargers defense is retooled and healthy to the point where they can keep them in games to offset some of those turnovers. Uh, to your point, I agree. It's a, Picking the destination for Jameis is more or less where is he going to be the best backup. Yeah. I, I think that Jameis has the tools, and if he's in the right system, can become that number one pick franchise quarterback that a team wants him to be but it's it's all on him and it's it's going to yep. be how he develops into the next state of his career right now i i don't see it and you know any team that's going to be paying him some money is going to be taking a flyer in, right. in any case of it yeah and but, i think that the
1: one thing that is for certain is that we can expect a lot of these um to go into the summer so i just have to keep an eye on them um Definitely. let's move on to the draft here um Last week, Alex, we touched on a couple of guys that we thought were maybe underrated heading into the 2020 draft. Uh, let's start with offense here first. Uh, is there a guy who the experts are high on, but you think might be a little overrated? Needless to say, I think
0: we're all experts. Uh, so, okay, fair enough. <laughs> gotta love that. <laughs> uh, you know, experts are right and wrong, so that's the beauty of it. So I can pick a name and he can completely prove me wrong, so... We'll, we'll call that the the Odell Beckham pick, and we don't need to <laughs> yeah. that conversation. Anyway, I mean, that's it. a conversation for another day. Anyway, uh, a <laughs> guy on offense that a lot of people like that I'm not too big on is wide receiver Chase Claypool from Notre Dame. Jack, I know you're a bit higher on him, was doing a little bit more research. Recent pro football-focused mock draft had Claypool going in the first round of the Saints at 24, so he's ascending the ladder. The Saints really like playmakers. I get it, but they just signed Emmanuel Sanders, so the need – for another outside threat isn't really pressing right now as a player i, I i'm not gonna lie i love his measurables 6'4 240 runs a four 440 yard dash which is i i'm lucky if i can run a 640 yard dash that's so, insane yeah that's yep, insane we'll, speed well we'll bury that he has all the physical tools that you, <laughs> that you can't teach but truth be told on this tape he's not always explosive after the catch he makes his money on jump balls which is extremely important but you and I have had the conversation. We tend to put the receivers into three different buckets, jump ball specialists, technicians, and route runners. And you're an Eagles fan. You know as well as I do that you want a receiver who can do it all. I just don't see Chase Claypool as being a guy who can do it all from the slot to the outside. Like I said, he's got all the physical tools, but I think in short to intermediate routes, he's not great creating separation right off the line. I see him very much as a Devin Funches type of player. Uh, you know, he'll have flashes, particularly in the red zone because he's a big body, but much like Funchess, I think he's a tweener, you know, between wide receiver and tight end. And unless those guys are in specific systems built around them, I think it's going to be tough rationalizing a team to pick him in the first round. You know, I, I see him more as a day two guy that could potentially be a steal, but this is a really deep wide receiver class. And I think a team would be, really pressed to pick Claypool over a number of these prospects. I think those are good points. I mean, I, I would agree that I think the first
1: round might be a reach for Claypool. Um I, you know, like you said, I, I like his skill set. I like his measurables. I think he could be a value pick on day two. So um just a guy we'll have to keep an eye on. I also went wide receiver with my pick and I
0: chose LaViska Chenault. Okay out of good. Colorado. Just wanted to make sure you were not saying Devin Duvernay. Everyone knows how high I am on that kid mr chanel nope. i can deal with anyway go ahead no nope.
1: i went chanel yep you know i've seen a, plenty of mock drafts giving him a first round grade and to me i think there are like five six maybe even seven receivers that i would put ahead of him he's had some huge durability issues missing games in both of uh, i think his sophomore and his junior seasons um he had that four five eight combine 40 which was pretty underwhelming i know he did have the core muscle injury leading up to the combine but i think that only adds to his injury problems uh, just way too boomer bust to be a first-rounder to me. Um, if you want to take a swing on him in round two, that's fine. I probably wouldn't, but I definitely wouldn't be investing my most valuable draft asset into him. So, LaVisca Chenault, that's my pick.
0: Fair enough. I know, Jack, that you know, going back to the Chip Kelly era of Philadelphia Eagle football, you've had somewhat of a vendetta against Pac-12 receivers. Let me ask you this. It's absolutely if, true. If, if the Eagles pull a flyer on LaVisca Chenault in the first round, what is your reaction? Um, I might have to take the year
1: off, I think, would be my reaction. Okay. Um, Because clearly Nelson Aguilar didn't teach us anything.
0: Hey, and two completely char, different char players, John. I get
1: it. I get it. They're two different two different players, but there are just so many receivers I like more than Chenault. So I don't even want to consider that
0: possibility. That's fair, and we don't have to. We can both agree to disagree, <laughs> and we can certainly agree that it is a deep receiving class. Now, Absolutely, yeah. going on to the defensive side of the ball, Jack, I want to flip it around to you. Guy on defense that experts like, but you don't. Let me hear what you got. Yeah, this one was actually kind of hard for me because I think it's
1: difficult for fans like myself to evaluate college defenders. I mean, I just, I don't watch college football because I'm excited to see stellar defensive line technique.
0: You like, sure? I just don't.
1: I don't, even, I, I don't even know what that looks like, and I'm not going to pretend like I do. So I'm leaning heavily on what I perceived as a big combine dud, and I went with um, A.J. Epineza, defensive end out of iowa um he ran one of the worst 40s at his position it was a 504 i mean obviously you love his production right he had 30 and a half sacks in his last 26 games mm-hmm. but um prior to last season he was being discussed as maybe a top five or top 10 pick and there's a guy i follow on twitter it's at math his name's his name's kent plate okay. and he does something called a relative athletic score which is basically a way to combine uh or to quantify combine performance he takes into account you know the 40 yard dash sure your weight, your height, um, cone drills. And he puts you on a scale of 0 to 10. So if you score a 1, you're in the 10th percentile for your position. Mm-hmm. If you score a nine, a 9, you're in the 90th percentile. And Ebeneza had an, um, a relative athletic score of a 4, a little over a 4, which puts him well into the bottom half of players at his position. Mm-hmm. Um, this is also from Kent Plate. I really like statistics and analytics here. But <laughs> um, only 20% of 10-sack players in the NFL – ended up in the bottom half of the relative athletic score and 60% of 10 sack players scored above an eight. So they were in the top 20% of athletic performers at the combine. So if you're still following me here, I think there's a little reason to be worried about his combine performance, not saying he's going to be a bad player. I just think there is a trend where combine numbers do translate into NFL success. That's worth paying attention to if you're going to take him
0: possibly in the top half of the first round. I am totally in agreement with you on AJ Espiniza. I actually really like your points here, especially as it relates to combine points. Given the global pandemic that we're in right now, a lot of these general managers, I think, and and scouts are, I don't want to say going to be exposed, but I think they're going to be really tested here in their ability to grade and evaluate talent strictly by film. And I think that the combine is going to just be Another one of those examples where scouts and general managers are really going to hone in on the numbers. If the numbers match up to where they want a guy picked, then by all means they're going to take it. But that could really bite Espiniza in the back end. Uh, I love what you said about the 40-yard dash. Ran a 5.04, and by no means is that slow. Like I said, I'm lucky if I can run six. Nevertheless, (laughs) Espiniza, 6.5, 275, ran a 5.04 40-yard dash. Louisville offensive tackle Mekhi Becton ran a five one forty yard dash. He's six seven and nearly three hundred seventy pounds. So, it, that if that's not the tell all story, uh, you know, I don't know what's going to be. You know, one player up against one another player. I, you know, that's not going to necessarily sway my decision one way or the However, I think that speaking to Espinosa's numbers versus a guy like Mekhi Becton, I think it just speaks to that. There are a number of edge rushers in this class too, starting with you know Isaiah Simmons and Chase Young. You know, you have a crop of guys who are faster, stronger, and better built for the next level. I, I love Espinosa's production at Iowa. You know, you pointed it out. Ton of sacks, had fourteen and a half to- tackles for loss this past season. Eleven and a half sacks, four first sp- four forced fumbles. Excuse me, gets to the quarterback with a lot of regularity. I think that's great, but. I think to your point, he's very much a boomer bust guy, especially in the first round. A guy that he reminds me of in many cases is Vic Beasley. Vic Beasley from Clemson had 15 and a half sacks his sophomore season 2016 with Atlanta. Since then, he has 18 sacks in three years, and he now plays for the Tennessee Titans. I, I'm not ro- mm. I'm not rooting for Espinosa to end up like Vic Beasley. I still think Vic Beasley's a, a talented player, but you'd hate to see a guy like that reach his ceiling so quickly and then almost have a fall from grace and end up having to go to another team to try and find it. Um, that's not what teams look for in prospects. And quite frankly, I, I don't think Espinosa would like that anyway. So, you know, I'm in agreement with yeah. you on Espinosa. I think that he's probably the guy I'm most wary of.
1: Yeah, those are good points. And I think the Eagles were in the same position a few years ago when they drafted Derek Barnett. He was he was another guy who didn't have a really good combine, but people were saying, oh, you got to watch the tape. Like, look at his bends, look at his balance. Like, he's going to be great at the next level. And I think he's been fine. But if you ask most Eagles fans, they're going to they're going to tell you that he wasn't worth a first round pick. He hasn't played up to that level yet. Um, so, yeah, you got to you got to look at the at the measurables and the numbers too. Um, the, the numbers never lie, man. The numbers never. Right. lie. Right. They're so important. They're so important. So, yeah, um, we'll continue on with the NFL draft here. Um, I think we can always expect at least one team to shake things up a little bit in the first round. Uh, we'll start with you, Alex. Is there a team you see most likely to do something like that in the draft of this year? You know,
0: I, I picked a team that you were high on, uh, you know, in one of our recent episodes. And so I'm hoping you didn't pick them this time. But I'm going to go with the Miami Dolphins here. So hopefully I didn't catch you there. Nevertheless, I think when you look at their free agent moves, they're really positioning themselves very well for this year. Adding guys like Byron Jones and Kyle Danoy to really headline their offense. Really loved what Devontae Parker put up last year with his one thousand yard season. Obviously a guy that's been riddled with injuries throughout his career in Miami. I think that finally we got to see a, a sample of what he can do. So hopefully he can stay healthy, you know, going into the twenty twenty season. You know, I think the Dolphins in many cases, after retooling their defense, are Consistent quarterback play away from being a true contender. You know they have the good head coach, good coaching staff, but Ryan Fitzpatrick is by no means going to be the savior of Miami Dolphin football. They invested a no, second, not at all, right? They invested a second-round pick in Josh Rosen. Clearly, it's not going to work there. There's just no no faith in that. You know uh, the Dolphins right now. They have the fifth overall pick. They have the 18th and the 26th pick. That's in the first round alone. They've Six total picks in the first two days of the draft. You pair that with the eight picks that they have slated for day three. I, it's hard for me to imagine that Miami is not going to move up for a guy like Tua. I think especially if they're in their evaluation process and they see Tua as, a, you know, this is going to be our franchise guy. We don't worry about what the injury history says. The Miami Dolphins have already learned the hard way about avoiding a guy with a potential injury problem. It happened with Drew Brees Mm -hmm. and they opted to go with Dante Culpepper instead. Drew Brees since then has put himself firmly in the greatest of all time conversation among quarterbacks. Imagine being in the front office for the Miami Dolphins and passing on a guy like Tua and all of a sudden Tua blossoms into the superstar that we think he's going to be. Obviously, you know, we have to be hesitant of the injury history. I get it. If you're not completely sold on him, there are some other quarterbacks in this draft but I think – in terms of Joe Burrow, Tua Tagovailoa, and and maybe Jordan Love and Justin Herbert, you know, in that three four range, there there seems to be a really big talent drop off. So the Miami yeah. Dolphins are going to be in a very interesting predicament. However, I think they're holding a lot of the, a lot of the cards that most teams wish they had themselves. So I think the Dolphins are probably the team most flexible to to shake up the draft. Who would you have?
1: Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, when we think about teams who are going to shake up the draft, they're normally teams who need a quarterback, right? I mean, the Dolphins, Chargers, Panthers. I mean, you could even throw the Bears in there. I mean, what, what are they going to do with Mitch Trubisky? Mm-hmm. Is Foles really their guy? I decided to go with the Washington Redskins. Um, you know, they're sitting there with the number two pick, and unless Joe Burrow pitches an absolute hissy fit, like Eli Manning did in 2004, mm-hmm. um, Joe Burrow is going to be a Bengal. So, to me, the Redskins are really on the clock right now. And I think their decision um, has the best chance to shape the first round. And most mock drafts have them taking Chase Young, right? I mean, he's got perennial pro bowler written all over him. But I just would not be surprised if the Redskins went with Tua. Um, Dwayne Haskins is not Ron Rivera's guy. He wasn't even Jay Gruden's guy. It's true. Uh, this was a, this was a Dan Snyder pick. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think at this point in Ron Rivera's career, he's earned the right to pick his quarterback. Um, so don't be surprised if Chase Young ends up with the lions at three. Um, and then you got to look at the other QB needy teams who may have been targeting Tua. I mean, they'll have to decide if they like Justin Herbert out of Oregon enough to take him in the top 10 or surrender draft assets to move up and get him. Um, so I think it would be a lot of fun if the Redskins didn't go chalk with pick number two, And uh, that's kind of where I see it.
0: Hey, you know, I think that that's certainly one thing that could happen. You know, I'm definitely understanding where that comes from. I I see the Redskins going chalk simply just because of Dan Snyder. I think Chase Young, to your point, has perennium pro bowler written all over him. I think it's one of those things where, you know, the the Mario Williams or the Julius Peppers or the Miles Garrett's. You know, you, you have these guys who are just absolute studs as edge rushers and you think that they can absolutely change the landscape of your defense. San Francisco reaped the benefits of Nick Bosa, you know, a few years back, certainly something to be not- noteworthy of. Uh, and I think that the draft certainly will tell, but I like your point. The Redskins can definitely shake things up now, really quick. We're going to end our podcast with a little thing we like to call the hot corner. We're introducing a new segment, Jack it's getting hot in here. So, not going to do it. Not going to say that every week we're going to aim to introduce a new topic. Jack and I are going to try and throw out some more opinionated lists. See where we match up. See where we disagree. Provide some discussion topics for our viewers at home. All eight of you. So, thanks again for listening. And <laughs> Jack, this week's topic—I'm sure you are already prepared—but we're going to go with projecting the top five fantasy quarterbacks of next season and why. We're gonna start at number five. We're gonna go back and forth until we get to number one. And we're gonna see what, where we match up and we're gonna see where we're different or where we're different at. So I'm gonna ask you first who you got at number five and why.
1: All right. Um number five, I'm I've got Josh Allen. Um, quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. Because nobody you know, he circles
0: had... the wagons like the Buffalo Bills.
1: Absolutely. Yes. And you know, Josh Allen, he had nine rushing touchdowns last year, which I think was was even more than Lamar Jackson. You'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, but you, I know you can't, you can't expect him to have nine rushing touchdowns again. Um, most of those were sniped from Singletary at the one yard line. So that's probably going to go down. But what I really love about Josh Allen is the addition of of mm-hmm. Diggs. Um, You know, he's, he's now got one of the best receiving tandems in the NFL. I think he's going to have a huge bump in his passing stats. Um, so in my opinion, there's, there's no reason he couldn't achieve top five fantasy QB status. So Josh Allen, number five, who do you got?
0: There you go. Again, don't forget about Dawson Knox or Devin Singletary. Two huge pieces that can help Josh Allen. (laughs) Love those guys. Number five, I got New Orleans Saints quarterback Drew Brees. Many thought that he was going to retire this year, including myself. But the New Orleans fan favorite solidified his return, signing a two-year $50 million deal to return to the Saints. I'm thinking this is probably going to be his last hurrah, but... Regardless, I think we can both agree the chemistry between Drew Brees and Michael Thomas has led to one of the most dynamic quarterback wide receiver duos that we've ever seen. You know, I love the addition of Emmanuel Sanders into the mix, just gives Michael Thomas a really solid opposite number two option. Traquan Smith was great last year, but I think Emmanuel Sanders will be an upgrade. I think Sean Payton's plan yep. to get Taysom Hill some additional snaps. Don't forget, Alvin Kamara coming back healthy is huge. I see the Saints doing a lot of damage. Um, ideally, Drew Brees is going to be the fantasy beneficiary of that next year. Moving forward to number four, Jack, who you got? I'll I'll do three first, so you'll take four, uh, and then we'll we'll figure out the okay. The road after that, who you got at number four?
1: So four, I went with Russell Wilson. Um, you know. Wilson, he's been a top five fantasy quarterback in four out of his six seasons, and he's been top ten in every single season. I mean, he's just as consistent as they come. Uh, He's always a great fantasy pick. He's a guy I look for in my leagues. I don't think I need to explain too much about Russell Wilson, Um, so I'd put him at four. Totally
0: fair. Number four, it almost hurts my heart to say but I'm going, Tom Brady, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr. It's been less than two weeks since New England missed – Missed out on free agency, resigning him, and quite frankly, I'm still really upset about it. It's getting worse and worse by the day with quarantine, so please pray for me. Uh, (laughs) Despite my sadness, I I genuinely think Tom's going to have a great year in Tampa. He's routinely been a top fantasy producer without top-tier weapons. I mean, you can consider Julian Edelman a relatively top-tier weapon, but primarily out of the slot. Don't be surprised when he's dropping dimes to guys like Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, O.J. Howard, Cameron Brain, literally anybody in the 8-1-3 next year. I think that all (laughs) the weapons around him and the solid offensive line could lead to some really improved fantasy scores from the past year for Tom Brady. Uh, Moving forward, uh, go ahead. You are going to interject.
1: I was just going to say that that's a good one. I mean, I owned Tom Brady last year, unfortunately, so that kind of uh, soured me from putting him in my top five this year because I got really tired of – Uh, having 161-yard passing and one touchdown games from him. But you're right, he does have a lot more weapons, so
0: uh, we'll have to see what he can do with Perks of a good defense, you know? It's just how it goes. But I'll go first for number three, my boy Lamar Jackson, Baltimore Ravens. Lamar was absolutely electric last year, obviously winning the MVP award, helping the Ravens clinch a number one seed for the playoffs. You and I both know the Titans ambushed the Ravens last year. You know, Mike Vrabel had such a good scheme fit to beat these teams in the playoffs, basically yeah, he really slaying did. Goliath uh, via Derrick Henry and a stout defense with zone pressure. But I think that to my point in a previous episode, I think this loss is really going to teach Lamar and the Ravens, you know, more and push them for greater success going forward. I expect Lamar to put up pretty comparable numbers in his quest to win back-to-back MVP awards. I really like an extra year of experience with Hollywood Brown, Willie Sneed. I love Mark Andrews. Ended up becoming one of my favorite tight ends in the league last year. Really like Mark Ingram, especially being healthy. Wasn't completely healthy down the stretch last year, especially as we got into the playoffs. And I know you and I are both high on the Ravens going into the season for this year as a possible AFC contender. So I really like Lamar yeah, hard Jackson number three from fantasy QB is who you got. So three, I took I took Mahomes. Um,
1: you know, he missed two games this year. Still finished as QB seven in fantasy. Um, you know, he, he's the best quarterback in football. We'll see if the Super Bowl hangover sets in for the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just can't I can't bet against Mahomes. Sure so can't. going Mahomes at three. You can't bet against
0: him. Then what's what's he doing
1: at three? I mean, he's he's good, man. I got to put him there. What do I get? What do I got to do? Fair.
0: I'm interested to see who your top two are. I'll go first for number yep. two. Uh, spoiler alert: Going Kyler Murray, Arizona Cardinals. I'm most definitely probably going to be wrong on this pick, but if this is my list. I'm going to stick to it. I, I'm, I'm picking Kyler more for DeAndre Hopkins than anything else. I think Murray displayed a lot of promise down the stretch in his rookie campaign on his way to winning the 2019 rookie of the year award. I think having Larry Fitzgerald, his leadership, his skills for another year, that's going to do a lot of good in Kyler's sophomore development. I think we, know what Nuke Hopkins can do on the football field. I think he's going to be a great fit alongside Larry Fitzgerald and a guy I really like as well. Christian Kirk, you know, just a a really good set of wide receivers there. I think despite David Johnson's regression, uh, you know, over the past couple of seasons and the ultimate departure in that Hopkins trade, I expect Kenyon Drake to produce pretty comparably to last year as well. He, he really, was a beneficiary of the move from Miami to Arizona. I think he's a a really solid running and receiving threat uh, that David Johnson didn't pan out to be, especially last year. And I think that's going to open up the field a lot more for Kyler. I I expect the the marriage of Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray to be one for the books this year. Again, I'm not expecting it to be right, but I'm going to take the flyer and go with Kyler Murray.
1: I I love that pick, Alex, and I will – certainly tell you why in a second. Um, with number there 2, we I went That's Lamar fine. Jackson. <laughs> um, you know, for all of the reasons, for all of the reasons you just said, I there, I have nothing else to add. I mean, it's Lamar Jackson. He was insane this year. He's going to be insane next year. Um we'll see how, you know, defensive coordinators, they now have an off or an offseason to kind of study his tendencies. We'll see if maybe he regresses a little bit. I can't I can't say we're going to we can expect the same season we saw last year, but I mean, he's got to be in the top 5. So, fair I'm gonna enough. Sounds Jackson like new
0: we're really enjoying my Kyler pick, so I'm guessing I know who you got at number one. Why don't you go ahead and kick us off with that so you can you can get the, the last word in on uh, on our guy? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I also went Kyler Murray um, at number one. Uh, oh, well, you put him at number two. I put him at number one. Um, I love the Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins stack. Um, I think, you know, Hopkins, Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk, that's just incredible. You know, he was very quietly QB8 last year, and I think he had a fantastic season, uh, he's only going to get better, um so yeah, Kyler Murray will be the number one fantasy quarterback. Oh, wow I'm, I'm calling
0: rate. it right there, go ahead and put it down in your book. There you go. My number one pick was your number three pick, and again i'm I'm not super critical of it because I think the top three are all extremely talented quarterbacks, but it right, exactly. it's, it's but fluid it's, it's our independent around. list, and so we get to stick to it so. Number one, I'm going Patrick Mahomes of the Chiefs. I truly have no words to describe how I think Patrick Mahomes has changed the landscape of current NFL quarterbacks. In many cases, he's become the Steph Curry of quarterbacks. Just makes every throw, every look seem effortless. It's just whether he's no-look-diming, left-handed, I just he, he does things that no other quarterback can do. I think even if Sammy Watkins doesn't come back next year – Sam Watkins had a great game week one was pretty quiet down the rest of the stretch. I think having Tyreek Hill at full strength is going to be big. We saw flashes from what DeMarcus Robinson did last year, especially in Hill's absence. I think him coming back to the Chiefs is a nice little addition there. Travis Kelsey, as we know, is top five tight end in the league from a blocking and receiving standpoint. The Chiefs will likely draft another wideout in this year's deep class. Whether that's a first-round pick, I don't know. But you and I both know it's a very deep class. So if they're able to draft a guy with any perceivable talent, which seems pretty realistic at this point, he's he's going to really appreciate catching passes right between the numbers from Patrick Mahomes. So I'm going to keep Mahomes at number one. I know you got Murray at number one. Like we both said, it's pretty fluid, but I think I like where we're at for right now.
1: Yeah, it seems like we have the same top three guys, disagree on four and five, but uh, yeah, see what happens. It's, uh, I, w- I would certainly take your advice, given that you actually won your leagues, and I did not. So um, I, you know I, I certainly I try.
0: Uh, I appreciate the vote of confidence. Nevertheless, <laughs> uh, injuries and literally anything else can be the difference between loving fantasy football and hating it and
1: you know that better than anybody <laughs> that's right
0: there that's you go very well thank you stars. everybody for tuning in to episode three of the burner account hot takes no breaks once again i am your host alex flock with my boy jack iciello still looking for a nickname on you jack but we're 86 and jipper you're welcome to tune, tune in next week everybody <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit more about some nfl draft preparation It is still on pace to be occurring toward the end of April, a new hot corner topic. And Jack, who knows? We might even touch on some NBA news. How do you feel about that? Hey, you never know. Let's dive in. Sounds good. Got to switch it up, you know, since there's nothing else to talk about other than coronavirus. So sounds good. good. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining in. Jack, bid you adieu. Catch you next week, my friend.